Well, the reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have, heard, what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Thank you, Roger. That was great. Uh, amazingly read there. Love the pause where it comes to you are the father. The devil is <laughs> amazing. Hey, for those of you who have not met you, uh, my name's Paul. I'm one of the associate ministers here at P's and G's. It'd be great to meet you at the end. Do come and say hi. I'd love to uh, find out who you are and chat a little bit. So do come and uh, grab me at the end and say hi. Let's just pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are our father that we are your children. And Lord, we've already sung about it uh, this evening, 
But Lord Jesus, uh, you are our heavenly Father, our perfect Father. And Lord, you call us, you form us, you shape us. You carry your identity, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you for the truths that we've already sung. We pray that that would be a reality, Lord, in our hearts tonight. That that would sink, Lord, from our head to our heart and it would live out in our lives, we pray. We just pray that you take what we have, Lord, uh, this evening. And as we hear from Rachel, that, Father, you'd also just open our ears to what you want to say, Lord God. Amen. Hey, well, we're going to be looking at identity, uh, as it's already been said uh, by Libby, which is great to look at this subject. And as I come to think about this subject, it's been a really interesting, timely sort of week as I've been shaping a talk and thinking about a talk the same week that I turned 40. So I, be, I was 40 this week. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I only look 39. But that was last week. That was last week. I am actually 40. And the staff did an amazing job uh, at providing chocolate brownies and breakfasts and really celebrating me, uh, which was amazing to be part of. I felt very loved, very known, very seen. It was, it was a brilliant time. But it's been interesting, actually, thinking about turning 40. Now, my life's quite full, so I've got four children under the age of 10. So life's quite busy, quite... I haven't actually massively thought about it too much. But every time I did and I pondered and I thought about it, I thought, well, am I doing the thing I would always wanted to do? When I was four, when I become 40, is it the thing that I thought I'd be doing when I was 40? And, and am I in the, in the place that I thought I'd be in? And am I with the person that I thought I'd be with? And, and you think all these things when you hit a certain milestone. Maybe... You guys have had something similar, maybe starting from a younger age, maybe when you became 16 or 18, maybe it was when you were 21 and you're like, wow, when I'm tw- I didn't think I'd be here when I was 21, I didn't think I'd be doing this when I was 21. Maybe it was 30, maybe it was 40 like me, maybe it was 50, maybe when you were 60, maybe it was more. But we hit these milestones and it's an opportunity just to think, where am I? Who am I? Where have I been? And where am I going? Well, there's these milestones in our life that kind of help us think about these things, that almost jolt us into looking at our lives and our identity and how we see ourselves. When we look in the mirror, when we look at others, when we post, when we get uh, receive stuff back, how we feel about ourselves. And there's been other moments in my life when it's been a time to reflect and a time to question and think, what am I doing? Who am I? Am I on the right track? Am I on the wrong track? Is this who I was supposed to be? Am I in the right calling? Am I in the right career? Am I doing the thing that I thought I would be doing? And one of them times was when I got ordained at St. Paul's Cathedral. And I remember being at the cathedral, and I was standing in this like dress thing, with like a frock and a dog collar, and all my family came to see me, and we had to sing this, like, liturgy stuff. And then, like, you know, I had, I had people that had never been to church in this building, and I had family members that, that didn't believe in this building. And it just seemed so surreal and slightly weird, if I'm being honest. And I was like, is this what I've signed up for? Like, is this who I am? And I remember having this kind of, like, deep, meaningful thought and conversation with God and saying, God, I'm, I'm not sure that this is who I am. I'm not sure if this is what I'm signed up for. I'm not sure that I'm ever going to wear this dress thing again, ever. But this is where I'm at. So the night that I became a priest, 
I did what everybody would do, surely. I did the thing that we would all do. And I went and signed up for the Voice TV show, as you do. <laughs> it's true. So I had this massive crash of like, what have I done? What have I done? I've just been ordained. I'm going to be a priest. I'm going to wear a frock. I'm going to read liturgy. I'm going to swing things and it's going to smell nice. And it's going to be, I can't do this. So I went straight online and I signed up for The Voice. Now, we know how it goes. Oh, it's a true story. True story. We know how it goes. They give you an opportunity to stand in front of someone. And you've got to sing three songs. So you have one minute to sing three songs. So you've got 20 seconds to sing each song. So I chose my three songs. It was like David with my stones. I'm going to absolutely smash this. I've got my three songs in the sound. I'm going to absolutely cane it. And I come and I, and I do my songs and I do the best I can. And you know what they said to me at the end? They were like, you know what? You can sing. But we would have actually liked to have heard your voice. Because all you did was, you just sang three songs in the way that them three artists sang. We didn't actually hear your voice in any of that. And it was a real lesson for me. Because I was thinking, well, what is my voice? Not just musically, but what is my contribution to the world? What do I have to say to my contemporaries? What do I have to say to my generation? Not what people have said in the past, not what other people have done, not the other road that they've gone down, but what is my contribution to the world? And what is my voice? And that's been the journey that I'm on and I'm still on, of finding out what is my voice in ministry? I'm not like that, I'm not like this, I'm maybe a bit like that, a little bit like that, but what is my voice in ministry? Like, who do you say I am, God? And I don't want to be like anybody else. I just want to be me. I want my voice to be heard, the voice that God has blessed me with, the things that God's put in my heart. I want to communicate them in an authentic way. Rid of pride, rid of ego, as much as you can. Lay it all down. God, God, what's my voice? In the mix of all this, what is my identity? And it's identity that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at what it means to be a child of God. It's been an adventure in, and journey as well as I discover my identity and my identity in knowing that who I am. You know, this is nothing new when we think about identity, when mankind, humankind, think about our identity. Carl Sagan, an astronomer, once said this, humans have always searched for their place in the cosmos. Where are we? Who are we? We find that we live on an insignificant planet of a humdrum star, lost in a galaxy, tucked away in, tucked away in some forgotten corner of a universe in which there are more galaxies than people. I suddenly feel very small. But finding and establish, establishing our identity in the world and in life is about knowing who we are in God. It's about knowing where our roots lie. Identity is also about finding a place where we are, uh, find our origin. It's like, where did we start from? We had that verse that was read out amazingly just during worship, that God's thought about us before the beginning of time. He's seen us. He knows us. He knows who he's created us to be and what he wants for, for us to be authentic and real. And let's be honest, we all have um, different identities and different roles so I realize that I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a cousin, I'm a nephew, I'm a friend, I'm a husband, and now I'm a father. And the father is key 
in this. It's key in the passage that we're going to look at in a moment. But it's key as well in me and in my life too. My relationship, uh, as I've said before in other talks, but my relationship with my dad was quite strained. It was amazing at times, but it was also quite difficult because of a mental illness that my dad had. So I had this kind of strained relationship moving forward with him. And then when my dad died and I lost my dad, I continued to be on this journey of saying, what is a father? What does a father look like? And how do I be a father when I haven't really had an experience of a father? And how do I see Father God in all of this picture? Because it doesn't matter how old you are, when a father lets you down, when a father deserts you or a father walks out on you or a father disappoints you or a father humiliates you, like that hurts, that cuts deep. When we know what a father should be and we experience something less, it kind of, it, it takes the wounds on us. And sometimes when we go to God the Father, we go with them pains, we go with them bruises, and we go with that picture and that shape of what God the Father is like because of the picture that we've been given. But God is saying, I'm the perfect Father. I'm the Father who won't abandon you. You're not an orphan, you're a child. You're a child of God. But how I related to the world really was affected by my upbringing. How I saw myself, how I saw my identity, and how I saw others in the world. Psychoanalyst Karen Horne said this. She was particularly interested in the way that some parents' behavior could lead a child to doubt their very basic approval and acceptance. When this happens, she says, the child becomes to perceive love and encouragement as contingent or dependent. In other words, we only feel okay about ourselves when other people seem okay towards us. As a result, we grow up feeling insecure and react to the world with fearfulness or basic anxiety. And that was my story. And through grief counseling and other counseling and prayer ministry and deep uh, prayer, it's been a journey of rediscovering the Father, rediscovering who I am, rediscovering my identity in Christ, that I'm a child of God, that I have a royal identity, that I am loved and adored by God, that God the Father sees me with all the flaws and everything. He knows it all, but he sees the potential. He sees the finished item. He sees the thing that he died for, the perfect son that he loves. He sees me through Jesus' eyes as well. And I've had to be reminded of that over, over the time and over my years, that that's the identity that I have and that I stand in. Let's look at this verse then. Let me just give you the context for this verse. So uh, Jesus is in the temple courts. Uh, he's talking to the teachers and the Pharisees. Uh, it's just happened that the woman's been caught in adultery. He's drawn the line in the sand. And he's speaking about being the light of the world. He's also invited people to follow him. And he's saying that his father has sent him. And that's the key word. When you read this text, the father is the trigger. Like they kick off when they say, when he says about the father, it's like, oh, I'm going to go for you now. It's like the buzzword. And really, this tale in this verse is a tale of three fathers. A tale of three fathers. Father Abraham, Father God, and Father of lies. Let's look at Father Abraham then. So Jesus is talking to his uh, contemporaries, he's talking to the teachers and the Pharisees, and as soon as he says the word Father, they kick off and they say, whoa, 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 whoa hang on, Abraham's our father. So it's a little bit like, like, you can't go there, we are justified. Like, if we trace our roots back, we're found in Abraham. Abraham is our father. So job done. 
And Jesus challenges that. He says, okay, if, if, if Abraham was your father, then you would act differently. If Abraham was your father, actually, you would live your lives differently. And if Abraham was your father, you would follow as Abraham did. And even Abraham awaited me. Even Abraham longed for me. I go before Abraham. This was really challenging for them. He was saying to them, maybe physically, if you follow the line down, maybe physically Abraham is your father, but not spiritually. No way. And definitely not morally, because look at how you live your life. You don't live your lives as if Abraham was your father. Secondly, then, they then come back at him and say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, 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 God's our father. God is our father. And then he says to them, if, there's a lot of ifs in this text, if God is your father, then you would hear what I say. You would love me. You would accept me. If God really was your father, then you would be able to follow me. If God was your father, you would take me and all my teachings, you'd follow me and you'd step into all that I am. You would trust in me, you'd believe in me, you would know that God the Father has actually sent me. And he's the third father then. So there's two fathers that they suggest, there's one father that he suggests. And that's the father of lies. He says to them, guys, look, if you're not living a life that is like you should be living, a life that's worthy of following me, if you're not living a life that's like a child of God and accepting me and following my teaching and, and, and loving me, if you're not listening to them things, chances are you're listening to the father of lies. The devil, uh, as Roger read out earlier, the enemy, called the father of lies. There's so many things in the world in culture that lie to us, isn't there? It's so easy to listen to other things than the voice of God than what scripture says, what the Bible says, what church and people who love God and follow God say about us. So Jesus is saying, look, don't find your identity in anyone else or in anything else. Find it in me. Be rooted and established in me in love, in God the Father. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 11 to 12, in the message translation, it is in Christ that we find out who we are. And what we are living for. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we are living for. So here's a question. The teachers and the Pharisees were finding their identity in a distant father, Abraham. Who or what is your Abraham? Who or what is your Abraham? What's your go-to? When you're feeling rubbish, you're feeling low, what's your go-to? It's, like, oh, it's okay because I've got a thousand followers. It's okay because I've got a cushy job. It's okay because my bank balance is full. It's okay because I've got a great sports car. It's okay because I've got a really good-looking girlfriend or boyfriend. It's okay because what's your Abraham? Who is your Abraham? And can I suggest that if it's anything else but God the Father, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. It's just a mini-God. It's an idol. And idols always break the heart of their worshipper. We know that we are more than our profile. We know that we are more than our best filtered photo. We know that we are more than our jobs. We know that we are more than our online presence. We know that we are more than people's praise. We know that we are more than our job. Now, there's a, there's a real wave of particularly teenage girls that were getting this wave of just depression and anxiety because when they looked in the mirror, they didn't look as good as their filtered photo online. And it was like... What I see in front of me isn't actually what is good after I've played around and filtered it. 
But I really believe that God wants to give you a different mirror. He wants to present a mirror to you and say, look and see how I see you. You're a child of God. Like, come and find your identity in me. It's not in any of, any of that stuff. It's in me. Find your voice. Let your voice be heard. Your authentic voice. The voice that I've given you as a child of God. Not an orphan scrambling around for an identity found in other places. Don't drink from any other well apart from God and your identity in God the Father. Because it just won't satisfy you know, we should see the world from on our dad's shoulders. I often pick our kids up and I put, put them on my shoulder and I say, what's it like up there? What can you see from up there? And if we're children of God, and if we allow God to pick us up and to be on his shoulders, we should see the world from his shoulders, safe in him, looking out from a heavenly perspective, see the world differently when we're held by him on his shoulders. I'm going to ask Josh just to come up and grab a couple of... Uh, uh, Barstool's with me, and we're going to go on number two, and we're going to hear from Rachel. Let's give Rachel a big round of applause. Thank you. Cheers, mate. So good. Hey, so Rachel uh, has been leading worship, as you know, uh, this evening, and I have a special quick story about Rachel, because when we lived in New Zealand, um, I came over and checked out and so on. We felt it was right to move here. We came back with an old Carol CD, um, and we would drive around Auckland in New Zealand, listening to the old Carol CD, but particularly the song Home, where you start singing. So we knew your voice, your voice. We knew your voice before I'd actually properly met you. And when I came in and heard you lead worship, lead that song, I just burst into tears because I just felt like I, I've came home. I've come home. This is home. And uh, so I want to I bless that and, and honour you in that because, um, yeah. But tell us a little bit about you because you were not brought up in a Christian home. Um, you uh, were brought into church, you did PowerPoint, which was like a, a youth program. And then tell us a little bit about that song that you heard uh, during that time. Sure, so uh, I started going along to PowerPoint when I was 14 years old. Uh, when I got there, I'd never really heard about church or anything. It's just kind of like the unspoken thing that some people did sometimes. Um, went along and was like, oh, like, Christians are actually like quite cool, like they're quite sound, like okay, cool. Uh, went along and it just made total sense and from then on I was like, okay, this is something I completely believe in. Um, and one time I was there and there was like a big thing was happening, like light show, big band, um, and they were playing the song One Thing Remains that I have, I've never heard that song before. Um, and it was during the second verse where it says, on and on and on it goes. Um, they're talking about the love of God and the love of Jesus and the grace. Um, and I just like broke down. Like I've never cried like that. I was only 16, like, mm. don't cry like that yet. And just gone. And uh, I was like, wow, this is so overwhelming, this like love I'm experiencing. Um, and in that moment, first time I ever heard from God, and he said to me, you're gonna be doing that one day. Wow. And, for me, it was like, oh, I'm going to be standing up on a stage. Like, I had only just started playing guitar, not even singing yet. <laughs> um, and for me, that was so overwhelming. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, that mm. fits, that works, that I can do that, you know? Yeah. Um, here we are. So, and from that, that was really the start, wasn't it, of you exploring worship and what it might look like. And we've just heard from Flo and from Lucy's, and you actually became an intern in, within the worship department. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, because I didn't grow up in church, I didn't really have a go-to when I became a Christian. So I was kind of pottering about different churches. Um, 
and I had been here for PowerPoint and remember thinking this is quite, it's quite nice. So I suggested coming here with my friends because we were really late and I knew that the 7pm is 7pm, that's really late. Yes, so I went along and as soon as I walked in the door, like everyone was just like, who are you? Like, how can you get involved? Two weeks later, I met Mark and I met Josh when you were an intern and was part of the worship team. And then like two weeks after that, like three suggestions from three different people for me to do an internship. And I was like, all right, okay. Um, and what were you involved in in the internship? What sort of things were you doing? So similar to Lucy, uh, I was uh, involved with organising the worship team uh, down the Rota uh, and was involved with the recording process for all carols. Um, and as in, that was on the worship side, but intern-wise, uh, Libby sat with us and talked us through our lives and mm -hmm. helped us grow and helped us face our challenges. It's such a polite way to say it. Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really cool. That's really great. So then from that, you then moved into uh, leading worship and really just finding your feet, finding your style, your identity uh, in it. And uh, I've experienced uh, you leading worship and stuff, but just, if you don't mind, just say a little bit about the challenge, the pain, the journey, and, and, and kind of finding your voice or your identity in all of that, because you kind of hit a bit of a wall, didn't you? So one of the really amazing things I got to do while doing the internship was I got to try a lot of different platforms. So from doing an actual performance on stage to a lot of people, to being in a recording studio completely alone and having my own voices in my ears, um, to being a part of a band, to doing like acoustic sets where there's no plug-in, um, doing events externally when I don't know the rest of the band. I've had the opportunity to do all those things. Um, and what I realised was that I was being inspired and influenced by all these different platforms, as well as watching YouTube and listening to worship music on Spotify and all. And find myself starting to get like a bit lost and those things were starting to become me. And it was about two months before I finished my second year doing the internship and I just had this breakdown because we'd you know, we'd been up on a Sunday night and we were talking about a worship planning meeting the fall morning and I was like, I hated every minute of it. I hated it. I had no idea what I was doing up there. I felt so uncomfortable. They were going in crying and just having this complete moment of who am I and what am I doing? Like I remember having a very distinctive calling to this, but I'm not me while I'm doing it. Mm. Um, so decided it was for the best for me to take a really long break. Um, it was probably one of the most healing things I've done for myself. Um, it was really difficult because this gives me life, you know, stand up here and, and join in worship with you all. It gives me life and it helps me connect with God in a really primitive way for me. Um, so really, really difficult to take a step back, but actually, similarly to hearing One Thing Remains, that song wasn't about um, jumping up and clapping and singing, it's about the love of God. And in that time, I got to take a step back from the physical worship and actually learn how to worship mm. from the place of nice. love. Um, and it just completely simplified everything in terms of leading worship. Um, for me, it made me realize like, have to be rooted in Christ and know that I'm loved in order to give that out. And you talked about, uh, so obviously there's different styles, there's different churches, they lead worship in different ways, they have different mannerisms, different ways and postures and positions, and some of that's good, some of that's great, some of that's just kind of made up, you know, just for, for them, and some of it's copied. Um, but you were aware of taking on some of them things, and you had to discover what it was actually to, to be authentic and, and to worship yourself. And you said two things when we chatted earlier in the week 
that you discover that actually if I just lead worship and I do these two things, um, I can't go wrong. Just want to say what they are because I think it was great. Uh, I can remind you if you forgot. <laughs> I do remember. I didn't remember it. Um, it's love God and love the church. Those are the two things. Um, Mark always gave me a lot of good wisdom when I was doing the internship. Of you know, I would always feel a bit boxed up up here. If there was people who it was eleven o'clock and someone yawns, like it's nothing to do with me. They're just a wee bit tired. But I would be like, oh no, this is boring. Um, but actually. I look out and think, like, actually, I know so many of the faces and have had conversations with you and have connected with you and, like, love you, you know, brothers and sisters. Um, and as soon as I've got the, the channel of God saying, like, I love you, you love me, I'm aware of that, mm. that makes it so much easier for me to go, I love you and you love what we're doing and you love what he's doing, so. That's amazing, that's great. So I was going to ask, how important is it for you to know your identity in God? You've kind of answered that. But just give a bit uh, of language, if you can, just a little bit of time to the, now that you've experienced that, and now that you lead worship in a way that you feel like, this is me, this is how God's created me to be, this is my voice in my way, and so on. What has that done for you? Like, how has that changed or affected you? I think it's, it's a really, really difficult, obscure thing to grasp. Um, is what I've realised that there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. Like there's just something about that sentence that blows my mind. Mm. Um, like I make mistakes every day, every single day. I wake up, you know, I go to sleep. I've made mistakes in my day, some significant, some not so significant. But the foundation of my personal life, because of who I am, is that God loves me. Mm. Um, and. I went through a really long time of, of not being physically able to accept that because of just the insecurities and the way, of, you know, I've experienced hurt in the past. So I think, you know, my past has kind of had a big part of that. Um, but I got to a point where I thought, you know what, like, God made me, he doesn't make mistakes, so there must be a reason for it. How about I just accept it and see what happens? And it's done wonders. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm a loved person and that enables me to love other people, which is, is great. And it's so great having you uh, back leading us in worship and just watching you worship and so on. I'd just love to pray for you. Is that okay? Father, just thank you for Rachel and for her journey so far. Thank you for her honesty, her vulnerability, her courage in that, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for her pursuit of just finding um, who you've made her to be and her voice in the world uh, and in worship, Lord God. Father, just bless the Lord Jesus, we pray. Just anoint her voice. Anoint her, Lord Jesus, we pray. Give her a heart's desire, Lord God. And as she loves you and loves the church, we pray that each thing would grow, that, Father, them hearts would just get larger and larger, Father. And just a picture that I have for you, Rachel, just as we were praying and thinking about it, but just of this trellis and just like constantly building more and more trellis in expectation and anticipation for, for real growth. And it was like a picture of, of, of like ivy or, or, or grass that or plant that grows really super fast but that just God's just going to allow you to grow really fast and just to prepare that sort of trellis that higher and higher keeping more space for God you know if you if you bring it you'll fill it you'll fill that space um, and that you're really going to grow in this and see amazing things um, 